0: Hello, I'm William Henry.
1: And I'm Michael Penny.
0: At the end of our second podcast on acquiring wisdom, I think we said we will begin to explore how the application of God's wisdom can turn our lives into something that's really worthwhile and see how it will guide us towards the good and guide us away from the evil.
1: Yes, and I think we also saw that wisdom and discipline go hand in hand. They actually go together.
0: Yeah, they do. That's right. If we want to live wisely, we can't live carelessly or casually. So I think there's a need for us to be disciplined. The book of Proverbs has got a lot of instructions to heed discipline and correction. And a disciplined life is really necessary for wisdom. Right at the beginning of the book, the opening verses say this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king in Israel for attaining wisdom and discipline, and it is right at the beginning, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair.
1: Okay, but I wonder if one of the characteristics of the present age in which we live is a lack of discipline. Yeah. I mean, some, some people living a more or less undisciplined or ill-disciplined life. I think somebody once summed up the current dominant ideology as, have a good time, don't judge, chill out. Um, But do you think that really works in the long run in bringing about a contented life?
0: Yeah, well, I think a a relaxed outlook like that, which tolerates anything and everything, as long as it doesn't disturb me personally, might lead to easy living in the short term. It sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Live and let live. But What sort of character does it breed and what sort of society does it produce at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, those are two good questions. However, the Bible does tell us not to judge one another. But I suppose we can judge the actions of others.
0: Yes, it's it's just sometimes difficult to make the distinction, isn't it, between judging the actions and judging the person. But I just wonder whether this anything goes approach to life is the best one. For effective living and a sensible lifestyle, Christians need to practice discipline, and that means self-discipline. Paul speaks about beating his body to make it his slave in order that he might win the prize.
1: I presume Paul is speaking figuratively there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully. I don't think he went in for self-flagellation.
1: No, but what he is really referring to is exercising self-control and self-discipline. Now, self-control to me is not doing what we should not be doing. And self-discipline is doing the good we should be doing. But how do we know what is the good we should do and what is the bad we should not do?
0: Well, I think that when it comes to keeping on the right path, our primary instructor has to be the Lord. He will correct us in various ways, through scriptures, obviously, in books like Proverbs, but also I think through the advice of other experienced people, and through the circumstances of life as well. I think we need to recognize his discipline and respond to it. So that really means we need to be sensitive enough to hear the Lord's word as as we read the Bible, hear his voice to us, where he encourages us and and I suppose rebukes us also if necessary. The writers of the Proverbs keep emphasizing this need for discipline, for authentic living. And they say also that this discipline has to begin in childhood. But it's not just limited to childhood. The wise adult never stops learning.
1: Okay. Let's, let's look at childhood first, because I can remember being quite taken aback in my later teens when I first saw the movie South Pacific. and heard the words of a great song. Now I won't sing it for you. I'll just tell you what the words are. Thanks. You've got to be taught before it's too late. Before you are six or seven or eight to hate all the people your relatives hate, you've got to be carefully taught. You know, right there and then, even though I was just 18 and had just become a Christian, I decided never to say anything negative about anyone, especially not in front of children.
0: Have you managed to stick to that?
1: Well, 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 I don't know. By and large, well, occasionally I've slipped up, but not in front of children. I've kept to it in front of children. Children need positive instruction as to what is right and what is wrong. And they need positive examples set by their parents. Then if they stray, they need correcting and may need to be disciplined.
0: Yeah, you're definitely right there. And and Proverbs encourages parents, I think fathers in particular, to teach and to correct their children. Because in the long run, that's going to benefit the children themselves. For example, Proverbs chapter 22 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the children are encouraged encouraged to heed the discipline of their parents. Proverbs 13 says a wise son heeds his father's instruction but a mocker does not listen to rebuke.
1: Yeah. But Proverbs 19:27 warns the child that if you stop listening to instruction my son you will stray from the words of knowledge. And a child who does not listen to his parents and does not heed their discipline is according to Proverbs 15:5 a fool. There it says a fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence.
0: Okay, so what happens if the child continually refuses to follow the advice and the training of the parents? Proverbs' um, advice to the fathers in, in chapter 13 is, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him.
1: Yeah, it, it may be unfortunate that the imagery used in a number of passages in Proverbs suggest physical punishment. For example, Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 speaks of disciplining them with a rod. And so does twenty-nine fifteen, which says a rod and a reprimand imparts wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother.
0: Yeah, I think nowadays people have realized that physical punishment is unproductive and in some cases downright harmful. And it's been suggested that timeouts and other things are a better way of disciplining a child. But there's no doubt about the fact that a lack of discipline produces an awful lot of problems. Proverbs 19.18 says, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death.
1: So... The corollary of that is there is not much hope in an undisciplined generation Then, But, you know, when our Lord Jesus lived as a child in Nazareth with his parents, Luke 2.51 tells us that he was obedient to them. Now, if our Lord was obedient to his parents and if that was his attitude, how much more appropriate is it for other young people to learn from their parents' wisdom and be obedient?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, You know, I suppose the first teenage generation which began to break free from parental influence was during the 60s and 70s, I suppose. Many rejected the values that had gone previously, you know, that had guided previous generations. That generation of the 60s and 70s now has children themselves who are now adults and who are raising children. But unfortunately, some appear to have little or no wisdom to pass on to these children, apart from a relaxed approval of a materialistic, hedonistic and promiscuous lifestyle. And one wonders, how has all this come about about in 40 to 50 years? Any suggestions?
0: Well, I don't know. There's possibly a number of reasons for it. But I think the lack of the fear of the Lord, which, of course, as we saw in earlier, chats um, is the beginning of wisdom I think that's one factor and they were the first generation really to experience this phenomenon that Douglas Coupland the author says is life after God we are the first generation to to experience life after God and we're reaping the moral consequences of that and if we take the fear of the Lord out of the equation what are you going to use As the basis for ethical behaviour, all you have is yourself and the lifestyle of your friends and your social media contacts.
1: Yeah, that's true. And that's a really unstable foundation for life, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. No wonder there's so much stress and worry about self-image these days.
1: So it would seem that some parents have very little wisdom about life to pass on to their children. And some do not know how to teach and discipline their children consistently does it does proverbs address this issue
0: yes because of course discipline is not just a feature of childhood and adolescence is it it's a matter of lifelong learning and the book of proverbs distinguishes between wise and foolish adults there's a lot about the wise man a lot about, a lot about the fool the wise man or the wise woman already has understanding and also has the perception i think to recognize That there's much more still to be learned and are therefore ready to heed advice or take a rebuke with, with meekness and learn from it. The foolish person, on the other hand, who doesn't have discernment, ignores the correction and responds to it with abuse or mocking. Proverbs 9 talks about this. It says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Proverbs 23 says this. Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words.
1: Okay, so if we are wise, we will heed the counsel of trustworthy people. Since we recognize that we do not have complete wisdom and must always be ready to learn. Um, it's interesting what Paul says in Galatians six one brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. I find that very good advice
0: that's right because we all fail don't we from time to time, and all of us can get caught in a sin, as Paul puts it there, so we need to surround us ourselves with these these people who will be able to restore us gently.
1: Yeah, and Proverbs repeats Paul's advice more poetically, I think, this is lovely. Like a earring of gold on an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Mm-hmm. So we need to take wise correction positively, especially from the Lord. My son, do not despise The Lord's discipline and do not present his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in.
0: Yeah, that's in Proverbs chapter 3. Hebrews also says something similar. It quotes these verses in chapter 12 and then the writer adds his own comment to it um, in verses 7 to 11 of chapter 12. He says, This endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it.
1: That's an interesting contrast between parental discipline and the Lord's discipline. Our parents disciplined us and we discipline our children with mixed motives and imperfect judgment. But the Lord's discipline, though it may not be enjoyable to experience, is measured and appropriate and for our ultimate good. Let's hope we recognize it and respond to it. However, let's change direction a little and see how wisdom and discipline can help us with one of the major problems in today's society. That is sexual permissiveness and the problems that brings, especially adultery.
0: Yeah, I think adultery is a particular problem, isn't it? Because the family is really the bedrock of society. It's the place where children can be brought up in love and peace and stability. And I think adults also thrive better in a stable family environment. Mm. Justin Welby, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he, he points out that family is the base community of society. And he says that the family, the family's values are crucial to try to establish the values of any society. And according to some recent statistics, around about a third of marriages in the UK end in divorce. In the US, it's around 50 percent.
1: But that's not all due to adultery, is it?
0: Well, no, but a survey shows that around 20% of men admitted to cheating on their wives. That's only those that admitted it. Also, we have to remember that not all adultery causes divorce, but it can be hugely damaging, hideously damaging to the marriage, and it really destabilises the family unit as well.
1: Well, I suppose adultery has been around a very long time, and it must have been a problem in Solomon's Day too. So what does Providence have to say about uh, adultery?
0: Well, quite a lot, actually. Um, Proverbs repeatedly warns of the dangers of adultery. Of course, a lot of the book is written as a father's instructions to his son, and adultery figures quite highly on the list of things that a wise son should avoid. Proverbs 23 says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways, for a prostitute is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. The picture in Proverbs of this adulteress with her seductive words, her lips dripping honey, and her beauty all leading impressionable young men astray. It's depressingly relevant in the 21st century, which is really over-sexualised, I think, in a lot of ways.
1: Yes, but, but the problem in our society is not really young lads falling prey to older married women, is it?
0: No, that's right. I mean, I think in our society, sex is everywhere and mature married men, typically in their 30s and 40s or, or older, can fall for attractive, often younger women that they meet through work or socially. And if you've got issues in your marriage and somebody lends a sympathetic ear, throw a lot of alcohol into the mix, well, there you go. You've got the perfect ingredients for an affair in that.
1: Yeah. And permissiveness like that is not limited to men only. Uh, For women, the temptations may take a different form, such as the lure of more money or power or a position. So the dangers of women being enticed into adulterous relationships are no less real.
0: Well, that's true, um, though I think the statistics indicate that married women are more likely to be faithful than men. But there is another problem, though. There's no doubt that women can find themselves In abusive situations, and some men do appear to think that they've got the right to to stalk women, harass them and assault them sexually or in any other way. Hence, you've got this rise in recent years of the Me Too movement, which a lot of women have joined or certainly support the movement.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that kind of behaviour from men, I find appalling. However, the focus in Proverbs is on adultery rather than on sexual permissiveness and abuse more generally.
0: Yes, and uh, Proverbs is clear that those who are wise will avoid adultery. Proverbs chapter 2 says, this wisdom will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. And in contrast to that, those who fall into the trap of the adulteress are described as lacking in judgment. They're described as simple. They're described as being like an ox going to the slaughter and being under the Lord's wrath, so it's clear what the Lord thinks about
1: it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But there's nothing positive about adultery, is there? You know, the betrayal associated with it can destroy not only the lives of those directly involved, those two people, it can also cause extensive collateral damage to their children, to their parents, and to their friends, contributing to the kind of unstable society we find in the West today and in Britain something like 40% of children see the divorce of their parents by the time they are 16 and one of the major causes of that divorce is adultery.
0: Yeah there's there's no doubt that there's nothing positive about it the writers of Proverbs are in no doubt about the consequences of adultery. It says, in the end, she, that is the adulteress, is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Another passage says, her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. That's serious stuff, that.
1: Yeah, they are. <laughs> those are very strong words. But how can people make sure they steer clear of adultery? You know, church history is littered with the carnage caused by adultery committed even by prominent Christians right up to the present day.
0: Yeah, isn't it? So it's kind of foolish for us to think that we can be immune from temptation.
1: Okay, so how can we guard against such temptation?
0: Well, I think Proverb gives us three suggestions for avoiding um, the temptation to commit adultery. The first one is to avoid the exposure to temptation. This, I think, has got to be key, hasn't it? Recognising potentially dangerous situations and keeping away from them. That's the first step. It's unwise to go into situations or associate with people who would encourage us to do wrong. In Proverbs chapter 5, the father warns his sons to avoid sexual temptation. They say, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. In Proverbs chapter 7, it's interesting there you get a detailed description of the seduction process. Because this foolish young man is enticed into the house of the adulteress. The start of the downward spiral is in verse 8 there, where it says, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading. You can just see it, can't you? The start yeah. of a bad movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. So the point is, if I understand it correctly, if he had not been there, he would not have found himself in that situation. But did he know where he was going? Well, possibly. Maybe he was trying to see how far he could go. Maybe he was enjoying the temptation, living dangerously near the edge, not realizing that he was like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, and that he was in danger of being trapped.
0: Yes, he made the mistake of listening to her sweet talking. Proverbs 7 says, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk.
1: So keeping away from situations where you may be tempted is the first point of avoiding adultery. That's good. But um, what is the second piece of advice given?
0: Well, the second piece is to avoid deceiving yourselves. This is quite an interesting one, because I think it's astonishing how easily we can kid ourselves into thinking that there's going to be no negative consequences from things we do that are wrong. Often, I find anyway, that I look back on things that I've done and thought, what on earth was I thinking about? Solomon says in Proverbs chapter six, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. So it's inevitable, really. As sure as night follows day, there's going to be a price to pay.
1: Yeah. And then there's the regret that comes later in life when he looks back on a ruined life. Proverbs 5 spells this out. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people.
0: Yeah, there's that discipline again, isn't it? How I hated discipline. Many men, and, and women too, who reflect back on broken families and relationships wish they'd exerted or exercised self-discipline and not been so foolish as to put themselves in the way of temptation. At the time, the other person, the situation seems so attractive, doesn't it? Maybe they convinced themselves there would be no long-term harm and that they'd get away with it. But invariably, every time, it brings serious trouble.
1: Yeah, you're so right there. Keeping our eyes open to the dangers of adultery and not kidding ourselves about the consequences will help us avoid situations that lead to temptation. Yeah, that's two good points. But you said Proverbs had a third point?
0: Yeah, the third point is to concentrate on the positive alternative. I think Proverbs doesn't suggest we should live like monks. In the poetic language it has, it, it uses the, the idea of a positive alternative to the adulterous lifestyle with all its secrecy, all its deceit. Proverbs chapter five says, drink waters from your own system, running waters from your own well. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you be satisfied with the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife?
1: Oh, That's beautifully and poetically and powerfully put. I really like those opening words, drink waters from your own system running waters from your own well. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you be satisfied with the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her love.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, with all the temptations to sexual immorality that's around us today, maybe all married men should print off these verses and keep them in their wallets. (laughs)
1: Good idea, that. Anyway, so Proverbs, in common with other parts of Scripture, urges us to have the discernment to avoid these sexual temptations. Solomon, the writer of much of the book of Proverbs, was speaking from bitter experience when he wrote on that subject. All his wisdom. In spite of all his wisdom, Solomon was captivated by foreign women and they led him away from following the Lord.
0: Yeah, I think it's always very sad the way Solomon finished up, isn't it? Not following the Lord wholeheartedly because he got himself involved with heathen women.
1: Yeah, we can be sure that the same will happen to us if we are not careful and if we don't follow the wisdom of the Lord. Let us never forget that the fear And the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And nowhere is the fear and reverence of the Lord more necessary than in relation to our marriage and our families.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thank you.